Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are enough. Honestly, as we look around this room, as we listen to where each of us, us are at, we realize and know that you have a purpose and a plan for us this morning. God, we pray that you would bless us. We pray that your words and your truth this morning would be exactly what we need to hear. And only you can work that out in our minds. I pray that you would allow us to make the connection between your word and where we are at. Help us to understand and see a picture of just who you are as our God. God, we pray for this. We pray for it regularly, but even this morning, God, we ask and pray that we would see you in your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to start with a picture that uh, Pastor Matt referred to, a pale blue dot and the smile that it brings to his face. And if you remember from last week, he referenced this picture and in the idea of just how big our God is. And if the universe was any smaller, it would not do justice to how big our God is. And to a certain degree, the reverse of that is somewhat true to get some perspective of that little blue dot. And I chose this version of the picture because it had the arrow to even see where the little blue dot was, as to that is the earth. If you weren't here, he was referring to, I think it was Voyager 1 that was sent as a satellite that was sent out a long time ago. That's probably why the picture is still blurry. They did not have 4K and high definition cameras when they made the satellite. Um, But it was sent out and then they had sent radio instruction out to it, turn around and take a picture of the solar system as it's way out past, right now, where was this? Well, at the time of this picture. It wasn't quite, it was just near the the path where Pluto's at. Pluto wasn't near, but it's right at the edge of our known solar system when we think about it. There's actually a documentary on Netflix about the Voyager right now. I just watched the other day. (laughs) After I talked about it, I saw it. But yet, I find an image like this helpful. Because so often, as we consider ourselves, our problem... And through no fault, I don't want to point this as fault. I simply say that because we live in a very busy world, filled with things that stress us, filled with things that worry us, filled with things that are beyond our control, we struggle often with remembering who our God is. And we struggle often with the reality that He truly is sufficient. And when we look at our problems we sometimes think they are bigger than our God. Even if those words don't come out of our mouth, the way we allow ourselves to react, say that. In, in, when Pastor Matt provided the opportunity and mentioned, would you like to speak this week? I, I wanted to, as I was sitting there last week, and thinking and saying, 2019 should be renamed Murphy's Law. <laughs> in case you're unaware, Anything that can go wrong, will go wrong, is Murphy's Law. Fascinating story as to how that name came about. 
Um, but anyway, and so for me, I look at 2019 and say, okay, we're in November. I was saying this type of things in January and February about 2019. And as I actually am familiar with many of your stories, it hasn't always been an easy year. Any year could be bad or worse, whatever. But that was present on my mind. And when you made reference to this picture, it reminded me of something Charity was saying. In that our view of God, our attention to looking to Him in the midst of that, is important. It's important that we get that reminder. And so as I, my, following you along in my train of thought, that this brought me to this, and then it was reminded we were referencing what maybe we would look into Daniel, the book of Daniel. And I, after spending some time in it even this week, I want to continue on and at some point, whether, whether we do that in some morning services, whether we do that in Sunday school, I'm not sure. I do want to go through Daniel. But this morning, I, I want us, we're going to be in Daniel, and we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, and I'm actually going to talk a lot about the book of Daniel before we even get to that chapter 1. But I want to say it as a story, the story of God revealing himself. And part of the way I say it that way is he revealed himself through Daniel. He revealed himself through three other young men who are mostly known as Meshach, Shadrach, and, uh, well, and Bendigo. Though that's actually their given Babylonian name and not their Hebrew name. They're in the first chapter here. But we also see in the way in which God reveals himself not just to Israel, but in a fascinating way, reveals himself to the nations around Israel. Because if you look at Daniel, this was a young man who was taken out of his country and served most of his time for foreign leaders, both Nebuchadnezzar, um, probably another leader, then Belshazzar, then on to Darius, who would have been king uh, for the Medes and Persians, and then also under Cyrus, another king of the Medes and Persians. None of this time being a time when God's people are in control of the land there, we see, so it's just a number of things. So we're going to start digging into it. But as we begin, any discussion of Daniel, quickly understand, you need to at least mention of date and author, because, it, because of the nature of Daniel, it's brought up with criticism time and time again. One of the biggest reasons why they criticize it is because of how accurately it reflects time that at the time of the writing would have still been future and for us are now history. And they line up extremely well. Part of the reason why it faces criticism. It faces the criticism primarily where that they say that Daniel was not written by a young man in and around 600 to 500 BC, but was rather written by a pseudo-writer in and around the time of the Maccabees. And the Maccabees were a time when... The is the, the people were facing great persecution and they were trying to make a stand against, at that time, the Roman Empire. And, trying, and they say this was a low point in history there for them. Therefore, they wrote this book as an encouragement to those people in 200 BC. And for the most part, many of these things were history to them even at that point. I totally reject that. And I, and I have reasons for that. They would say that the, develop, the theology that's used here was too developed for the time of Daniel. I totally reject that. The, their argument would be along the lines of his use and figures of the way angels were. You don't see that. I totally reject that. I think that is limiting scripture. Um, they would also say for the reasons of 
there are, they use Greek words in Daniel. And, well then, that, that shouldn't be the case because the Greek culture had not had the influence at that time of 500 to 600 BC. I also reject that because there's only three Greek words that are used. They are all nouns. They are all referenced to musical instruments. And you can also know that one of the very first ways in which influence from another culture can come through is through proper nouns. So there's, an, there's a reasonable explanation as to why there would be possibly three Greek words in a book written in Hebrew, which also, interestingly enough, has Aramaic as well. So you go through these reasons. And I, I have a legitimate reason that, no, no, this does not make sense. The biggest reason for me, though, is this. That in Matthew, this is Jesus speaking, quotes D Daniel, and references it as the prophet Daniel. For me, the argument stops at this point. Of it used in the New Testament, then referencing back then. So I lay that out and say in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And I simply bring this up as saying, this is a fascinating book. But don't undercut it anyway, and do not allow your confidence in this to be dissuaded. Because if you Google um, Book of Daniel, when it was written, Wikipedia currently is saying that it was written in and around 200 BC, or BCE, I guess, anyway. Um, and that would be referenced to it saying it's in and around the time of the Maccabees, which is not the case. And I have excellent reason for you, and I won't, and I don't feel like you need to go further into that. But other than to say, this truly was written by a young man who was facing the loss of so much. And, and I bring this map up to give you some picture of that. Because I just want you to understand the context where this account happens and where Daniel lives and breathes. Some history that you may already be aware of is that, you see there, Syria, reference in, in, in the Old Testament, Syria was a an, an regular enemy of Israel. And when Israel was still together, you reference battles against Syria. And then you hear the word Assyria, and it's reference to this, Assyria, which is the red, and then further down, Assyria was the main power. And at this point, when we get now to here, Israel was now divided. The ten northern king tribes had already fallen to Assyria. And then they are, were and are dispersed. And we don't know where, you know, their heritage was just lost. And, but that was to the Assyrian nation. And so you see then, if you're picturing someone like Daniel, who was living and growing up in Judah which was that southern kingdom, still allowed, and this is, God has been faithful. We survived things against the Assyrians. We are still a nation. But then you have the Babylonians come in. And that's where then the overlap here in that picture where you see the purple, the Babylonian empire took down the Assyrian empire and took over southern, the southern kingdom as well. So this is now where you're at of the scenario in which this young man was. He was in Judah. And while he perhaps heard or saw of tales of God standing with him and with his people in insurmountable ways in which the southern kingdom should never have been able to stand against Assyria. You know, like look at size of kingdoms. Here's Jerusalem. This would have been Israel right around here. This is the Assyrian country. 
empire. This is what they had conquered. And they had taken then all the northern kingdom and did not take southern kingdom. It, it's like amazing. And now, though, they fell. Now, you are hearing the account of a young man who my, identifi I ident my identity as an Israelite is connected to that land. My identity as an Israelite is tied to the promises made to me in God's word. Isn't all hope lost at this point? I what we are going to read about is a young man who is then carried off into captivity to the Babylonians. What basis then is he going to hold on to his faith? Oh, I raise that question too because there was a reason why when Assyrians and Babylonians captured, captured territory and countries, they relocated parts of those populations. It was not without reason. It was for the reason that oftentimes many small g-gods were connected to the land. And if you relocated the people, they lost that unity and the, and the belief of their people. So in them taking away some of the best and the brightest of the Israel, they were actually specifically trying to combat this very thing. Okay, so we have some context. Let's go in first to Daniel here. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this is, this, as I mentioned, this is the end now of the southern kingdom. King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, would have been already taking over all of the territory that had been Assyria, now the main force in this region entirely. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, that is Nebuchadnezzar's, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Again, all symbolism, it wasn't just for the sake of the value of it, but the sake of specifically trying to tear down the God of Israel. Specifically trying to remove this hope from these people. Verse 3, Then the king commanded Asphani, uh, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, which is another word for Babylonians. Chaldea was a small territory within the greater Babylonian empire. So we're going to see that Chaldeans. We're also going to see Babylonians. Don't, don't worry. They are referenced to the same, it's just one is a smaller area within the, the larger. Then verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. There are their you know, Hebrew names. And the chief eunuch gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hanai, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. 
We're also, interestingly enough, more familiar with Daniel's Hebrew name, but the other three's uh, Babylonian names. Don't know why. Just happens to be as they're retold for us. But this was then the request. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So I'm going to pause here for a moment because we, we, we have in Sunday school been talking about how to study the Bible. And one of the reasons why Daniel is also fascinating because it uses narrative. Later on, it has a ton of prophecy as well. But this portion here is narrative. You're, you're just hearing piece by piece by piece. This part of the history, this story of a young man. I, I want to just pause for a moment and make it slightly personal for you in realizing this young man probably would not have been older than 18, probably younger still. He's now been removed from his family, from most of his friends. Some of them, unfortunately, were actually taken with him into this situation. He's been removed from the land that he's known, which is bad enough of just not knowing and being familiar. You want to talk about difference of cultures. That was here for them. But also beyond that, remember that I referenced that oftentimes their identity as the people of Israel is tied to the land. And they've been removed, forcibly removed from that. You want to talk about like your foundation being shaken. That's what we see in Daniel. But yet we see here that his attempt to be faithful. He's saying, I, I don't want to eat this wine or eat this drink. Now, because it's narrative, I also want to dissuade something. We are not saying that the lesson or the takeaway from this is to eat or drink the way Daniel did. I, you know, we've, everyone's you know, either bragged on me or poked slightly fun in good jest of my keto diet. It wasn't keto. It wasn't paleo. It wasn't any of these things. It's not that this diet that was following within the law was any better. That wasn't the point. The point was, even in the face of losing everything that was his foundation, everything that he had come to depend on, he was still going to seek to follow what he knew to be right according to God in that given time. And for him, that would have included trying to follow the dietary laws. Another thing within that that is a possibility just beyond the dietary laws, this food and drink could certainly have been and probably was offered to idols, offered to their gods as well. That was both are very plausible, possible, maybe it's both. But there was the reason, it was basically showing as a sign, as an effort of saying, no, I'm not going just to just roll over. Yes, I can't control that you have carried me off here. I cannot control that now I'm to be one of your wise men, or that type of thing. But this, as a sign of being faithful to what he knew God to be right, is what he requested. That's what he's asking for. So we carry on here in verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths of your own age, so that you would endanger my head with the king? This is, so this is a eunuch speaking and saying, just a second. If this wasn't going to cost me anything, I don't have a problem. This might cost me my head 
because I'm charged with making you healthy, happy, and ready to serve my king. And you're going to put that at jeopardy by not eating this food that we believe is the best for you? And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in the matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in, fl in flesh than the youths who ate the king's food, which is contrary to what you would expect. This is simply God choosing to bless the obedience. If anything, this is actually in and of itself a miracle because it wasn't, it was, again, again, I'm saying the point wasn't what they were eating, but the point was them attempting to follow after and have a symbol and follow God in his leading. And so the stewards took away their food and the wine and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And I'm wondering at this point if Daniel's friends were like, why did you do this to us? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. There's just so many things that come to mind as we go through this. Again, I do think that Daniel's an absolutely fun book. Uh, but it's also fascinating. Uh, both sides. And for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Which is miraculous. And we're going to see that this carries on again and again throughout the book. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them, that none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus which is a long time later. But here, as we want to look at this, what are some of the takeaways? Like, what do we see with that? Because how does this thought and idea connect to the thinking that I was having over there just one week ago? Well, it's this. That in the same way that you draw out that big picture of the universe and to get a view of who our God is, that He's great, He is powerful, He is mighty. He is so much more than just our picture of Him. Because remember the, the parallel I kept drawing again and again. The picture for a person in that time and in the nation of Israel, a very big and strong component of that is that idea of in the land, seeing God bless, seeing that, and that vision of it was removed for Daniel. His expectation was not met. You and I, then, are our expectations of what God should be providing as a good and great God being met? Maybe. Maybe not. I started out in saying that 2019 has been a rough year. Like, um, you know, I, I'm reminded, as you have said many times, 
close to house, was it? Problems are close to house as opposed to home. Um, realizing for me, I, things at Habitat have been wacky. I would have never anticipated. And so many things also, what I found so discouraging within that, they were beyond my control. That's what got to me personally. It was that idea of, I'm looking back at 2019. I'm looking at the decision. It's not like I can just point to, oh, I think this was a bad decision. If I'd just been a little bit smarter, we'd be fine. No, I'm actually looking at situations where I don't think I had a misstep, but they were details that were outside of my control. They were details that just happened. As I look around and reminded then, is that the case for you? Has your expectation of God been challenged this year, this month, this week? And how will we respond to that? I see it as an encouragement when I can see and picture this young man who ends up being wise beyond his years, completely applies to Daniel and is not being trite about it. God blesses him with wisdom and vision that are far beyond his year or what eventually turns out to be even a, a human. He's taken all the things that are, you would expect to be that, that peace that they expect and rely on were knocked out from underneath of him, yet we see response that I will trust in God. The things that I know to be right, I'm going to do. The decisions that I know to be right, I'm going to make. The blessing is we see God bless. But it's also not necessarily in the way that you would expect either. Because if you know more of the story of Daniel, Daniel is a wonderful man. A man who seeks after God and is blessed for it. I don't know that Daniel ever sees Jerusalem again. Let that sink in for a moment. He was taken away at a time when he was very least under 18, probably younger still. Everything that up to that point that he had known and counted on and relied on as my picture of God that I can trust and rely on was set aside. And he is faithful again and again and again. And you know that this is not a short time because when he starts referencing different ages of kings and things, and that's why here he's saying until the first year of King Cyrus. It wasn't even in the first year of King Cyrus that the people of Israel or some of the remnant went back. We're talking 70 years is what is, and in some ways it's almost longer than that because you can measure the 70 years from two different points. But you can see here that he was carried away in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. It may, not have, it may have actually been two kings when you see that Belshazzar. It may have actually been um, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, not his just son. Then you have Darius, the king of the Medes and Persians. So we, we saw that map up there. When we carry on further, whether that's in Sunday school or here, it's going to change again. Where there's a whole other empire that then sets the Babylonians aside. And Daniel lives through that circumstance. Then not only King Darius, but then on to the second king, Osiris. All through this time, we are going to see a man who seeks and follows after God. And I would say is blessed, 
but not always in the way you might expect. I would say that that's our lesson and our takeaway from a passage like that. That I have that capacity to be like Daniel. Not in the sense that I'm expecting visions, but in the expectation that I can follow after God even when life is not going the way I want or expect, even when some of the details that to me almost picture God and His faithfulness are knocked away from me. For, mine, for example, you're seeing a picture there before that Ashley had put up for us of a church. It's be, God is allowing it to be closed down by the police? What? God, where is the good in that? But is that so dissimilar to God? You allowed the southern kingdom to fall? Don't you have promises about your king and King David being an everlasting king? How are you going to make that happen? Don't you have promises that you, they are your people and you will bless them? How is that going to work? You, like, the questions can potentially go on here. You and I, we're not dissimilar to that. We look around and you, I'm guessing, and, and you can take it whichever way. I, I look at the world around us and I get discouraged at times. No, not at times. I get discouraged. And I need to be reminded of this. Because I look around and I see friends even who are divided over politics, over wealth, over the... You know, I, I look around and I see then among a greater world of it's like, it's almost like teetering in the brink of chaos here. Really? You know, it, it, there are parts that I have no idea what the rest of 2019 is going to bring and I don't know what 2020 is going to bring. But if my expectation and my hope is built on those, then yeah, I'm potentially setting myself up for failure. I'm potentially setting myself up for disappointment. I'm setting myself up for fear and for worry. But rather instead, I do have the opportunity to be like Daniel and say, I don't know those details, but I know this detail. I know that God is faithful. Even if it doesn't seem at this moment, I know that that is the truth that God is faithful. I know that when God has made a promise to me, He will keep that promise. Just because I didn't understand how that promise was being played out in my life is not the same as he didn't keep it. Just because my expectations don't line up doesn't mean he was unfaithful. And what's amazing here, Daniel ends up being, the way he's blessed is this, that he's given visions and prophecies that he shares at the time with a foreign leader. And I don't know about you, but as I'm looking at it, I'm like, God, I thought you were, I thought you were on Team Israel, <laughs> not Team Babylon. <laughs> Wait a second, you're giving, you know, four young men who are faithful and true to you to be rulers within Team Babylon. And you, I, I, like, if you look in that view, you think, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? And then. Daniel stays around even into other kingdoms when this one falls. 
He wasn't even a Babylonian. He sticks around when it's the Mede and the Persians. That's why there's so many more details that I won't get into. But know this. God absolutely blessed Daniel. And as much as we say at the time, it feels like he just turned over this prophecy and vision. Is he not casting that before just swines? Nebuchadnezzar is known then as a proud and boastful leader. A vicious man when you see it. So what he ruthless in taking over these, all these countries. The way he then treats and mistreats these people. And you're going to see not just uh, the way God works in Daniel. You will see the way God works in Nebuchadnezzar as well. You will also see and realize that this book has been gone down in history as to have blessed the Jews. Then because as much as this was not written to the Maccabees. It was there for them as God's word and trust in that hard, difficult situation. This word is then also then given to the church where the Pastor Matt and I we were talking about some of these prophecies that are given, like the church is not directly referenced anywhere in Daniel. But when you sit and look, you can see where there's room for, yeah, the church is at work here, even though there's yet still stuff that for yet us in the church is future. Amazing. So that you have this book and this young man who went through all of this that we get the blessing then of looking back and seeing, my goodness, God was faithful to him. God blessed him. And we can see, and then God used him again and again and again and yet still will. So we, with that hindsight, might say, Daniel, don't, don't sweat it. Daniel, don't be disheartened. Daniel, do not be discouraged. Daniel, do not lose heart. This seems like an impossible situation. Do not lose heart. My words to you this morning are very similar. Do not be discouraged. Do not lose heart. Do not be dissuaded. God is very much capable and able to work. We see an example where that we need to follow and trust. And no matter whether we're trusting, you know, because we're quick to forget that. So we can quickly get back on that. And we're going to remember again, I wasn't trusting five minutes ago. I'm going to commit to trust right now. But it's amazing when you can see the Bible is filled with people who go through difficult, challenging things. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I absolutely love Daniel. When you start to see this young man, I have something in common with him. And I have that opportunity to be faithful like he was faithful. I have that opportunity to trust like he the trust, because we are trusting in that same God. Go all the way back. Because I know Pastor Matt will appreciate it, but I think you can too. Our troubles seem huge to us and overwhelming. And to us, they're very real. They're in our face. They're what we're dealing with every day. Of course they are. No, not dogging on you in any way for that. But I do want to encourage you to realize that the same God who made the universe, and even to the point of how large even just our portion of the universe is, where that you need an arrow to see the earth, 
and that we are only one person on this earth, realize in the same way He is big enough to handle our situations. And we start to see that in Daniel. We can see that for us as well. I certainly hope that this has been a welcome reminder that God is able to, and God is so much bigger than this. And just because he hasn't chose to share every portion of that with us in no way diminishes how great our God is. Let's bow and pray together.